0: Welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you are ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. Church, we're gonna have a good time today, but first let's uh, say our theme scripture together with me with our loud outside voice. You ready? Here we go. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls before you're seated. I'll tell you when to sit in just a moment, but I'm gonna ask you: Are you in? Then you're you're gonna say, "I'm in." Let's go. Here we go. Are you in? I'm in. Let's go. Awesome. Awesome. Before you're before you're seated. Before you're seated, uh, band keep playing. Um, take a look around. Turn to your neighbor. Uh, the your neighbor next to you and. uh, and tell them uh, it's your lucky day because you're sitting next to me. And uh, find the other neighbor, which probably was your second choice, and say God has great plans for your life. You may be seated. Man, I'm excited to be here. Has anyone seen the? Uh, I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. Anyone seen the new Captain America: Civil War movie? Okay, yeah. Um, how many of you guys are team Team Captain America? Okay, take a look around. How many of you guys would say that you' you would be Team Iron Man, Team Iron Man? And how many of you guys don't give a rip? Woo, okay. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. well i'm I'm excited to uh, to share with you today uh, from God's word and and I'm here today just to just to take a few minutes just to encourage you. Just to encourage you, I'm not here to, to beat you up. I feel like my assignment is to build somebody up today. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a, a message called uh, Story of Your Life. Write that down if, if you're taking notes. It's called Story of Your Life. Uh, go with me to Acts chapter 9, and then we're going to read from Hebrews uh, 12. Acts chapter 9, we find a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul, he's a a thug. He's a uh, a religious criminal of sorts. Um, Saul is motivated by the law that he was raised up in to crush this new movement called The Way, which is the Church of Jesus Christ. And how many of you know today that it didn't even work? Amen. We're here and we're thriving and we're better than ever. And we find Saul in Acts chapter nine. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. I bet they did. They heard a sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat nor drink anything. He did not eat or drink anything for three days now I want us to go over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is is written in a new chapter of Saul's life. Saul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, is now Paul. And Hebrews, I believe, is written by Apollos, which would have been a disciple of sorts of, of Paul. And Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And and, uh, I want us to look specifically at this, that I believe that there's a difference between, between the weight and the sin that ensnares. I believe the weight that Apollos is referring to is the Levitical law. In other words, the weight is everything that we should be doing, but we can't. And, uh, The weight is based on our performance, but grace is based on Jesus' performance. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith underline author if you have your Bible out, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to preach a message to you I've entitled, Story of Your Life. Title that at the top of your notes. Um, Is anybody a note-taker? Is Okay, Go ahead and if you're not, go ahead and be a note taker because I heard that if you take notes, if Jesus comes back, you go first. So uh, <laughs> um, story of your life. Dad says express lane to heaven, but, but it doesn't mean you die faster just if he comes back. <laughs> story of your life. I believe a good life is kind of like a good book. It's filled with chapters. Some chapters make us smile, other chapters make us cry. Other chapters are painful just to get through. But I wanna encourage somebody today who may be in a chapter of discouragement, is if you give up on the book, on the story, just because you don't like the chapter, you're gonna miss the good part because it's gonna get better and better and better when Jesus is the author of your faith and your story. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. I thank you that you are such a good and gracious God. God, I thank you for today, a day that I didn't deserve, but you gave it to me anyway. God, I pray that in these brief moments that you will lift the heart of the discouraged. God, I pray that you would provide vision to someone who has had none. And God, ultimately, I pray that today by the power of your Holy Spirit, that today would be a day of salvation, and that you would show up and do what only you can do, and that is to touch our hearts and change our lives. In the mighty matchless name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, and everybody said, Amen. amen, amen, amen. I want to talk for a minute about duties. There are a few duties, and there is a Duty that has been a struggle in my life since childhood. Uh, this specific duty is a struggle in my life to this day. It is arduous and painful even to think about it. How many of you here today struggle with the duty of dishes? Dishes, all right? Now, um, raise your hand if you actually enjoy doing dishes. Take a look around at these people who in- love pain. <laughs> okay, what about laundry? Anybody like laundry? I was just talking with Colby the other day. Colby, Colby I was talking on the phone. We were just talking about life, and, and Colby just interrupts the conversation. He goes, man, I just hate laundry. I just, I despise laundry. Anyone like doing laundry? What? Laundry, laundry just seems like an arduous task that's going to have to be done again and again. Like I like completing a project for it to be done. Like, who had laundry? Ain't nobody got time for that, right? So there is one duty, one task that I've enjoyed, uh, especially when I was a little boy. Um, it was a, a duty that uh, was on me every single morning. And I would even actually remind mom to give me and to allow me to complete this duty. You know what that duty was? It was taking my Flintstone vitamins. How many of you know about Flintstone vitamins? Anybody grow up with some Flintstone vitamins? <laughs> okay, so some, like a couple of people are like, I don't know what Flintstone vitamins are. You're basically candy with chemicals is what Flintstone vitamins are. So, okay. I go back to a couple uh, years and years ago. Um, Ashley Reed, where's she at? Ashley Reed, Ashley Reed over here from the Keys. Can we get up for Ashley? Isn't she awesome with the synth? So um, we're actually Ashley and I on a about to go on a trip to Vietnam uh, to uh, to take care of orphans and stay at an orphanage for a couple weeks. So. So before our trip, and this ends up coming on the day of the trip. I guess I had missed the meeting to find out. We 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 get we, we get to this meeting, and the youth pastor says, Hey, we're gonna be providing vitamins for the orphans. So you're gonna have to, to store the vitamins in your bags to bring them over. Like, okay, cool, whatever. I just you know, smoke of vitamins into Vietnam, whatever. So I so we each get our own little cases of of uh, of gummy child vitamins. So Turns out we're in Vietnam, and I'm with my, my roommate Dakota. All right, Dad laughs because he knows about Dakota. I'm gonna tell you about Dakota, and you'll laugh next time you hear about Dakota. <laughs> Ashley, you know about Dakota. Jordan, you know about Dakota. I want to tell you about Dakota. Devin knows about Dakota. Okay, so um, I'm with my roommate Dakota, and uh, we come into the room, where we're kind of unpacking, and and I go over to the night the night little nightstand, and I see Dakota's pack of sour gummy Flintstone vitamins with the seal broken. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I kind of walk over, and Dakota's overlaying on the bed, and he kind of says, pleasantly and casually, do you want some of my vitamins? My sour gummy Flintstone vitamins. And I'm thinking, uh, okay, you know, so uh, um, I admit, I went over and I grabbed it, and and I took a couple of the Orphan's Sour Gummy Flintstone Vitamins. All right, so I admit it. I, I am I am confessing my sins in front of the church. Uh, the next day, it turns out, we go through the morning into the afternoon, and I had not seen Dakota the entire day. And uh, I get back to my room that afternoon, and I'll never forget this picture of seeing Dakota uh, laying in his bed with the... With the blanket all the way up to his neck and he uh, he his face looked a little bit like this i said uh dakota what's wrong are, are you uh are you sick dakota says I said dakota did you did you eat something that might have made you made you sick dakota goes I'm like, okay, Dakota, well, then what's going on? So I go about, go about my afternoon, and, I, and I, uh, I start putting some stuff away, and I notice uh, near the nightstand had fallen off. I-, I notice an empty bottle of Flintstone sour gummy vitamins. <laughs> I said, Dakota, did you eat this bottle of the orphan's sour gummy Flintstone vitamins? Dakota. Dakota had essentially taken on something and consumed something that was never meant for him. In, uh, in the same way, many of you are here today carrying the weight of something that you are never meant to endure and to carry. The weight of your performance. You know that you're carrying the weight of something because like Dakota, it left him sick and immobilized. But a lot of you here today are emotionally sick and feel immobilized in your life, under a weight. Oftentimes you know that you're under a weight when you know that you should be here and you want to be here and you want to be there, but you're just so frustrated because you're still in the same spot that you've been. You know that you might be under the weight when Uh, When you uh, expect things of other people, but you're not even satisfied with your own performance. What do you do when you are under that sort of weight? I believe that what I'm about to share is so important, and this is something that's from my heart. Because when I'm honest with, with myself, and if I were to talk to people in the same way that sometimes I talk to myself, about myself, I would probably be a pretty lonely person because of the weight that I put myself under, the weight that the writer of Hebrews talks about. Let us cast aside every weight. I wonder today w- what weight that you have put yourself under. We know that the answer and the antidote is in the next line, but before I get to that, I want to relate and and observe that we find the Apostle Paul, previously known as Saul of Tarsus, in a similar place. We find find Saul, a religious uh, Jew, uh, probably raised by a Pharisee, I believe that there's evidence of that somewhere. Saul, raised in a home probably that's very strict and very specific. Saul was from Tarsus, which which would have been a it, it was a massive city of trade, which would have been a, a New York of sorts, a, um, a Saul would have been a city boy. And Saul, with his performance based lifestyle, now trying to prove something, hears about this Christian faith that's growing and emerging. And I wonder what Saul thinks. I wonder what like I wonder what Saul's motive is behind breathing threats and murder to Christians. What did Christians ever do to him? But oftentimes in life we forget that some of the people who are the most hateful are often people who are hurting the most. I wonder what happened in Paul's life to make him the way that he was. I wonder if Paul... Saul of Tarsus, formerly known as Paul, was trying to prove something to dad, the Pharisee. I wonder if Saul was trying to prove something to himself, or even if Saul was trying to prove something to God. I'll show him that I'm worth it. I'll show him. And in Saul's, def- in Saul's attempt to defend God, we find him on the road to Damascus with a manipulative letter to capture and imprison Christians. We find him on this road with his group of thugs behind him. And I can imagine the scene in, in the heat of day, right in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as, as Saul is leading his, his men, his thugs, his brutes, a, a, a bright light flashes. And Saul comes tumbling off his steed, his high horse. Saul, probably being humbled, maybe for the first time, in his life, here's a, a voice that carries such conviction, such weight, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can you imagine what Saul might have felt in that moment? The reason why I believe it's so significant is in Saul's ambition in his plan to defend God his intent to defend God his faith he was actually bullying Jesus which is to say church pressures off you don't have to defend God God can defend himself you know and as for me i just want to say that i believe that God is my defender Far be it from me if I feel like I have to defend God. Scripture says we are to be his witnesses, not God's attorney. That's a weight you were never intended to bear. And you'll only come off religious and push people away. That's where Saul's at. And and Saul had fallen off his steed and and his his, his men, his thugs come and, and pick him up. And for the first time in his life, Saul opens his eyes and he sees nothing. And Saul, the man with the plan, the one who always knows what to do and where to go, is now having to be led by his men into the city of Damascus. He gets to Damascus and we find him in this apartment. In this dark place, blind. And the scripture says he goes three days without eating or drinking. And we later know that he spends a lot of this time praying. But what I wonder is what happened in those three days. Saul, who had just lived a life based completely and fully on his performance, is now, for the first time in his life, in a place where when he looked at his life, the veneer was shattered, and he looked internally, and he saw only emptiness, only pain. Saul was under a massive weight. Now, Saul, there alone in this apartment realizing he had betrayed jesus what i want what i wonder and what i believe is if saul was maybe feeling some of the same emotion and shame as that of judas iscariot the man who betrayed jesus the only thing and difference about judas is when he betrayed jesus he was so overcome with the weight and shame that he went and committed suicide i wonder if saul At any time in those moments, feeling that shame was under the weight of death, of suicide. Jesus had said, Saul, go and I'll tell you what to do. But one day goes by, two two days go by, and three days go by, and still Jesus hasn't told him what to do. So why? Why would God allow Saul to be blind? Because we know in the story, many of you do, that Saul... His eyes are healed by a man by the name of Ananias comes in and heals him through the power of God. And, and just a few days later, he stands up. The one who was, who was uh, fighting and murdering Christians began to stand up and preach the name of Jesus. We know that happens, but, but why would God allow Saul to spend three days blind? And I believe the answer is simple, and yet profound, and I think we forget it oftentimes. I believe the reason that God allowed Saul to, to be blind and alone for these three days as Jesus wanted Saul huh, to take his faith off of Saul and put his faith in Jesus. Not in what Saul could work out, what he could do, what he could prove, but what Jesus was about to work out through him. And I believe the same for you today. Maybe... Uh, You're here today, and you're frustrated. You feel like you're always coming up short. You don't really know what the next step is in your life. And I want to encourage you today. I believe that God's looking at you and saying, fix your eyes on me. Let me be the author and finisher of your story, of your faith. I wonder if Jesus is saying, you know, I want to be the author of your life, not just the editor. And here's why. Because my plan, the story that I have for you, is so much better than anything you could come up with on your own. I want to... uh, as I transition, I want to share with you two brief things as, um, before I leave you today. One's going to be a really simple application, so get your notes ready. You're going to like this. And then uh, the second one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you. But number one, uh, I want to, uh, to share with you what I believe that God would be speaking to us today. And what he's been speaking to me is this. It's to simply, number one, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. God had to Fix Saul's eyes before he could fix his life. Fix your eyes. Here's why. Because our eyes, by default, are broken. Our eyes want to constantly and consistently look at our performance and how good we're doing. But ultimately, our performance will never measure up. We're always going to fail. Fix your eyes. And I want to share with you three easy ways that I use to, to fix my eyes. Um, so anybody know uh, Ian Woody? Ian, my little brother, Ian, 17 years old, Ian is a legend, uh, love Ian, so last week, uh, so yesterday I, pre- I, preached at a, I preached at a conference, and, and last week I texted Ian, I was like, hey Ian, want to go with me to this, uh, this conference that I'm preaching at, and we'll have a good time, have some good brother time, and, uh, and Ian, he very promptly replied, uh, I would rather not, love you bro, Right, no fluff, and uh, and I'm like, okay, uh, maybe he doesn't he doesn't understand, and uh, so I, I see him I see him on Friday Friday night at a at a dinner I'm like Ian, don't you want to go to the conference with me? Like it's me, you're you know I'm your brother, you know. Ian, and Ian replies, well, press the truth is Saturday is my Sabbath. <laughs> oh, I know that's an awe moment. Oh. Aw. I'm like, e- what do you mean you're Sabbath? You know, like we're g- we're gonna go to church and have a good time. He goes, no, no, S- Saturday is my day to rest. So just respect that, Bubba. Okay, you know. <laughs> You know, I'm so, I'm so focused on like, Ian, I just need to, maybe, maybe he, there's something wrong with me. I just, because Ian doesn't want to hang out with me. What's wrong with me? And, and I, these three things that I want to share with you are going to help you get your focus off yourself and get your focus on Jesus and so your life can change. Number one, here's three things that I do. Number one is I remind myself, today, Preston, today is much less about you than you think it is. Sometimes, um, sometimes I have reminders on my phone that pop up and say, Preston, today is less about you than you think it is. You know what happens when I realize my life is not about me? <sighs> the pressure's off, the weight's off, and I'm free to make everyone's life better. I wonder what would happen in your life if you just decided to remind yourself constantly and consistently, put a sticky note on your mirror, today is less about you than you think it is. Number two, I make church my priority, not my backboard. I make church my priority, not my backboard. Never is the question, hey, are you going to go to church on Sunday? You better know I'll be there. I'll be serving and encouraging people. I made the decision when I was 17 years old for the rest of my life, no matter where I am in the world, traveling, working, as for me and my house, which is only one person right now, we will be in church. We will be a part of the church. We will get up on Sunday, and we will come and encourage people. We will come and contribute financially to something greater than ourselves. We will be in church. You know what happens when we come to church? It's not just a religious duty or obligation. What we we are doing and when we praise God and we focus on Jesus is when we focus on Jesus and we praise God, we get the attention off of ourselves and we release that weight and the pressure is off. I get to live life freely and lightly focusing on Jesus, encouraging other people. As for me and my house, I will be in church. Number, Number three. And this is for somebody today. I make time to rest so God can handle the rest. Somebody here today, who's, you're working yourself to the bone. <laughs> and for the most part, most of that work is in your mind. It's with worry. You can't even take a day off because you're worrying about this. You're worrying about that. You know that worry is work. Jesus says, do not worry. I, I, on, on days that I, I attempt to, t- t- take, to take off and, and I find myself worrying. I say, "Bro, Preston, stop, you're working. <laughs> stop working. Because when I'm worrying, I'm working. But when we stop worrying and we lay our work aside for a moment, then God can go to work. Make time to rest so God can handle the rest. God loves you so much. He wants you to rest. He's not obsessed with your performance. He just wants you. He just wants you. He's going to work it out. He just wants you. I make time to rest so God can handle the rest. And as I close, uh, i ask you to stand with me. I wanna close and encourage somebody today. Maybe you're in a place where you've done everything that you know how to do. (laughs) Maybe you're kinda worked up and you're frustrated Maybe the last chapter of your life has not been what you wanted it to be. Maybe you're not as far along as you'd expect it to be right now. Now I wanna encourage you to say, a chapter is a chapter. A chapter is not your story. A chapter is a chapter. A chapter is not your story. And I pray somebody believes this today who feels like they're all used up, somebody who feels defined by their past family heritage, somebody who feels defined by their past mistakes. A chapter is a chapter, a chapter, it's not your story. Mm. As I close, I wanna share with you uh, a story uh, of a man that I'll never forget. As a man in my life, when I was a child, my childhood best friend, Chris Roden, his father, uh, Jay Roden, I love Jay. Uh, Jay was one of those one of those fun dads to be around. Anyone know have have a friend who just kind of had a, a fun dad? He, Jay would let us have two Flintstone vitamins in the morning. Jay was one of those dads, and I remember going to Christopher's house and spending time with Jay. Jay had even started a small group with us, me, and his boy and a couple other boys. And what he told us in that small group was his story his powerful story. Where Jay had come from was a life of alcohol abuse, a life where he would consistently beat his wife and had to leave his family for rehab. But God had brought restoration to his life. And I remember it was only two or three weeks into our small group that had started. I was at home and I got a call. I had a call from my friend Christopher and saying, Preston, Preston, please come. Please come over. Please come over because, because dad's, dad's hitting, hitting mom again. He's beating mom and me and my brother were hiding and we don't know what to do. He calls the police and, uh, me and me and mom and before I could drive at the time, mom takes me over and I remember driving up and I'll never forget showing up on the scene seeing a house surrounded by police cars. Step out of the car and and I see in the back of a police car Jay. See him sitting there with his head face down. And that was the last time that I ever saw Jay. About two years later we had uh, moved here to Texas and I heard about something that had happened to Jay. Jay had given up on hope for his future. He had given up on restoration for his family. I wonder why he gave up. Because I know and I believe that the reason he was numbing with alcohol was because of something that was happening deeper. The reason that he was beating on someone that he loved the most meant he really didn't approve of himself. And I hear... Jay, who was on the day after Christmas living in a tent community in Kansas City, Missouri, as the temperatures in, the, in, the, in that time would drop below zero, Jay lit a charcoal lamp to keep himself warm that night from freezing to the death, and the poisonous fumes came through that evening, and that was the last night of his life. And when I heard that, I thought then, and I think to this day, I wonder what Jay believed about himself in those moments. I wonder if he believed, if there would ever be hope for him. I wonder if he believed this chapter of his life would just define the rest of his story. Man, and if I could go back, and if I was there, and I just wish that I would, I could tell Jay, Jay, If you only knew. A chapter is a chapter. A chapter, it's not your story. Little do you know that your son, he's going to grow up and he's going to be a worship leader. This little boy that was in your small group, he's going to grow up and he's going to grow up to preach the gospel. The people in that small group where you shared your story, they're changing the world. Jay, it's just a chapter. It's going to get better. And I pray someone today who's going through pain, who's going through heartache, will know today and hear from God as if he's saying straight to you, a chapter is a chapter. A chapter is not your story. Anybody know Tyler Perry? The guy is 28, living in his car, but he knew it was just a chapter. Jim Carrey, a 10-year-old boy working full-time to support his mom and his family. But the thing is, he knew in that moment that it was just a chapter. In one chapter, we find Saul. A religious enemy of Christians hateful and depressed and in the next chapter we find him standing in Damascus preaching the mighty name of Jesus who is here and alive today in one chapter we see Jesus he's on the cross and he's dead and in the next chapter you know what they're saying? They're saying he's alive and he is well. And church, he's here today, and he can be the author and finisher of your faith. Church, if you believe him, if you love him, would you lift your hands? We're gonna sing to him. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the lives of people today, that you are mending broken hearts, that you are providing hope where there has been none. And I pray that you would remind somebody, buddy, today. That a chapter is a chapter. A chapter is not, not their story. Church, if you only knew the plans he had for you, if you only knew what was in store for the next chapter, you would not give up. You would not give in. You would stand strong, and you would look unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith. Come on, church. Can we sing it out?